Good morning. It's great to see all of you. Good morning to those of you joining us online today. God minister to your hearts. Um, it's that time of year again, right? Basketball is going crazy. NCAA, double, NCAA tournaments are in full force. I watch so much, I'm just really tired of basketball. Um, and it's interesting to listen to these coaches get interviewed. None of them say, we just got to amp up our offense. Everyone, without exception almost, says, we got to play better defense, you know? And I, I don't know how, where you are in this thing, and I don't care about sports that much. I love, I love to participate. This isn't about sports today. But I think, you know, basketball's a simple game. Whoever puts the ball through the hoop most wins. It doesn't matter if it's defense or offense. It, it's whoever scores most wins, right? Sometimes a good offense is better than bad defense. But anyway, I'm not going to get there with you because that doesn't matter. But in 1 John, now, in this epistle that we've been looking at for several weeks, um, John takes us to a more offensive mindset, how to be on offense as a follower of Christ, not just to be on defense. Um, I think one of the big tragedies I see oftentimes in Christianity is we're known for what we're against, not what we're for. And today, man, John tells, tells us God is for us and we're for some things. And if we really get this, uh, it's going to be powerful in our life. By the way, it's way more winsome to be known for what you're for rather than what you're against, amen? And so today, I think this message is going to be uh, timely and really applicable to us. So we're going to go to 1 John. I'm going to read from chapter 2, beginning with verse 28, to 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. So it's a short amount of scripture. I'll listen to what is said here. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's not what we might be, that is what we are. God has lavished his love on us, and we're children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him, that's a for certain hope, a for sure hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, in John's day, there were these false teachers who were really, you know, putting forth some bad doctrine. And they were saying, the physical body is bad. Everything about being physical is bad. They, they thought Jesus just appeared as a phantom in spirit only. And so they denied the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and they basically said, the body's bad, you can sin, no big deal. Doesn't matter. You just do whatever ever you want. They are minimizing the need of Jesus Christ. They are minimizing the resurrection, and they are minimizing the work of the Holy Spirit and transforming a, a, a life. And, and John is just saying, "Listen, listen. If Jesus comes into your heart, it's going to change how you live. It's going to affect everything in your life." And so, this is our big thought for the message today. If a person truly seeks and receives Christ. There will be true heart change. Amen? We know that. There'll be true heart change in that person, which will then result in life change. You'll live your life entirely differently because Christ has entered into your heart. The true Christian experience, of course, always begins with the heart, um, but it manifests itself then in our behaviors and how we interact with others. 
I'm going to read this again, but if it bombs like it did first hour, I won't do a third hour. Two men were adrift in a raft in the open sea. The ship had been wrecked. It looked pretty bad for them. And so one of them, frightened, began to pray. You know, the foxhole kind of prayer. Oh, Lord, I've broken most of the commandments. I've got some pretty bad habits. I drink, I curse, I steal, I treat people like dirt. But if you spare my life now, I promise I'll change. I'll never curse again. And then his friend interrupted him and said, wait, Jack, don't get too serious now. I think I see another ship coming. Okay. That's, unfortunately, our approach with God. Just get me out of this mess, and I'm going to go back to life as normal. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, John said, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. There's going to be life change. So listen to this thought. Righteous conduct is not a condition of rebirth. It is a result of it. If you've been born again in Jesus Christ, then your life will surely show it. It's not a condition to be all right with God, but once you're all right with God, you're going to have righteous conduct. It's going to be a result of being born again. When you move from life, uh, from death to life, it should change you, right? When you move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you should live entirely differently. In Jesus Christ, you move from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness and how, how you view life. The living God's come into your heart. You're no longer the same. So your behavior should be reflected of it. The Holy Spirit's not working in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit's working in you, you're going to live differently, entirely differently. Your whole life is reoriented. So how can that not affect the way you act? That's basically what John's saying here. Your life will show that Christ has come into your heart. And I want to do something today. I felt really led of the Lord. I think what I'm saying thus far is obvious. We say this all the time here at Grace Point. But what I want to talk with you for a few moments on is how does this really become a reality? And what motivates us to truly have this kind of life change that John's talking about? He lists that for us, by the way. If you, if you look closely at the scripture today, he lists these key motivating factors that change how you do your life. And I just want to walk through those with you today. So open your heart to what I'm going to share. Because as I was looking at this, I thought, man, God, this is so powerful if we really understand what's going on behind the scenes, uh, what really is motivating us to have this true life change. First of all, get this. This is motivating factor number one. As a child of God... He has lavished his love on you. I want you to read that verse out loud with me uh, that talks about this in 1 John 3, 1. So that's going to pop on the screen behind us, and we're going to read this out loud uh, together. Here we go. Read this scripture with me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now, John is marveling at the wonderment of God's redemptive activity in the lives of the children of God. He's just going, wow, God, you have lavished your love on us. It's just blowing my mind here. Now, we don't use that word lavish much in our culture anymore. Have you heard anybody use the word lavish other than me recently? We just don't use that word. It means abundantly. But here's the definition I I like. It means smothering. God has smothered us with love who are his children. He didn't give it a little bit. He has smothered us. A couple times a month, our staff does a staff devotional. 
or maybe it's once a month, doesn't matter. Um, and we get together for a short devotional and then some, uh, you know, community worship as, as a staff. And I'm I, I beginning to really like these devotional moments on Wednesdays that we have together. And this last week, Pastor Ben uh, did the devotional. And he was sharing from Hosea uh, 11, which I absolutely love that scripture. And God is talking about the wayward tendencies of Israel. And he says to them, I was the one who taught you to walk. I was the one who uh, healed you. I was the one who has led you with kindness and, and love. And basically, God was appealing to them, saying, do you, do you not understand who I am? Do you not understand what I've done for you? And then Ben took that to a kind of a personal place. And I love what he's talked about. And he said, I remember my little kids. You know, they'd hold on to your fingers, right? When they begin to walk. Anybody remember that? I remember doing that with my kids and some of my grandkids, just walking along with them patiently as they were taking those steps, being super encouraging and all that kind of stuff with them. Because it's a grand moment. But I was there. I was holding them. I was guiding them. I was involved in their life. And that's what God is saying to his wayward Israel. Don't you understand? I taught you to walk. I've led you with kindness and love. But then Ben, I thought, really hit it out of the ballpark. He, He was talking about that he loves to hold his kids cheek to cheek. And I sat there and quietly just started tearing up. Said, I just love to hold my kids cheek to cheek and just don't have to say a word. They know I love them. I said, what a grand picture of God. Because when I get together with my kids, I love to hug, hug them. I know we joke about it. I don't like to hug random people. I like to hug my kids. I love to hug my grandkids. I love them to sit in my lap. And, you know, I want them cheek to cheek. Amen? You know what I'm talking about, right? That's our God. He loves us, friends, cheek to cheek. He's lavished us with love. It's a smothering love. It's a cheek to cheek kind of love. We didn't get what we deserved. We deserve death. We deserve justice. Instead, out of his great love, God has shown us mercy, and he loves us cheek to cheek. A woman was, uh, went to a photograph, uh, photographer to get her picture taken, and she insisted that this portrait do her justice. The photographer studied the subject for a few moments and said, may I suggest, madame, that what you need is not justice, but rather mercy. Yeah, oofta, right? Some of you, you're just not going to smile or laugh today, but whatever. It's not that great of a joke. It's a dad joke. Um, isn't it a good thing that we haven't gotten justice from our God? But rather, we are the recipient of his love manifesting itself in mercy towards us. And it is not burdensome to please such a God who loves us so much. It is a delight and a desire. So here's an application for you to consider this morning. Do you ever marvel at the great love God has for you? Do you ever marvel at that? You ever just go, wow. Did this let it soak into your heart? How great the love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Vicki has this verse that I love. She had it in a plaque in, in the house. It's Zephaniah 3.17. And it paints a grand picture uh, of how God loves us. I'm going to read it from an older version, uh, uh, a 1984 NIV version, because I love how it states it there. But what I want to do is have you participate in this. So I'm going to read it first to you, okay? And then I'm going to explain something about it. And then I want you to do some actions with me. So you all need to stand. 
I know right now you're going, oh, I don't want to stand. Just, this is good. Get the blood flowing. Participate just a little bit. But let me read this verse to you. Let me explain something about this verse. And then you're going to do something here at the end of the verse reading, okay? And you don't have a choice. You need to participate. Sometimes just getting active helps us to get the verse ingrained into our soul. But the verse says this, the Lord, your God, is with you. Do you realize that? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, who's with you? God, he's smothering you with his love. Amen? He's mighty to save. He's not just a little bit able to save. He is what? Mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He doesn't say, ah, I'll put up with you. Matt Douglas, I'll just put up with you. He says, I delight in you. I, I, you know, there's a different kind of context. He will quiet you with his love. His love comes into our heart. Whatever we're facing, no matter how traumatic and how, you know, tumultuous it is, his love comes in. And what does it do? Settles us down, quiets us. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Now, this is what I want to talk about. That word rejoice literally means he spins over you with rejoicing. He's going crazy over you, amen? Not just a little bit. He's delighted. He is spinning over you. And Vicki has this picture of a little girl spinning like this, and her dress is going out. It's just really cute. And that, that to me, just God spins over us. I, I, can you wrap your mind around this? I can't. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this verse out loud together. At the end of the reading, you're all going to spin and then sit down. Because I want you to remember this verse. All right? Now, some of you, I know I'm stretching you like crazy. You can't even say amen in church. So, but everybody's doing it. And it's just, to me, I do these things personally a lot. You know why? It just helps me to remember and to understand the scripture. So here we go. Read it out loud with me. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Go ahead and spin and then sit down. All right. I should have told you at home that you have to stand up and spin too. So if you didn't stand up at home and spin, stand up and spin right now. Now the opposition that John was dealing with in his day they failed to recognize God's great love for them. They just thought anything physical was, was bad and evil. So they didn't love others, and they didn't think there was any need to be pure or righteous. And boy, does John say the contrary here, doesn't he? He says the contrary. Um, Christ has come for you. He loves you. He's, God has smothered you with this love, so much so that you should want to live your life right, and you should love others. So now we're going to get to the one point here, the motivating point here, that really moves my heart. This first one's really good, but this next one just really touches me. John says in 1 John 3, verse 2, these words, dear friends, now we are children of God. If you receive Jesus, what are you? Amen. Don't you forget it, amen? If you receive Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Don't you forget that. That's who you are. That's your identity. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So here's a second motivation behind right living. As a child of God, you are on an exciting journey to glorification. 
All right, you're on this really cool adventure of, of glorification. Now, glorification means this, the final and full redemptive state of the body of the believer at the return of Christ, at which point the, in, the uh, perishable will put on imperishable, uh, imperishable, and the mortal will put on immortality, right? And so, without a sense of destiny, we're just a mess. And so many people live their lives without any sense of destiny. Um, John is saying, Christ's followers, you have a destiny ahead of you. You're going to become like Jesus Christ. That's called glorification. It's the final and full redemptive state of the body of the believer. Amen? This, this glorification, this moment we see Christ face to face. I don't know about you. I have to constantly remind myself of this. I'm on this journey. I'm living with a destination in mind. Um, we have a DVD to watch, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you some more on this point. God has put it into us to dream, to sense that this life is not all there is, to realize we're on this really exciting journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, that we have a destiny that lies ahead of us of future glorification. And that should excite us. And, and, and you know the world, what it does, it saps that right out of us. We get cynical. We get cranky, and oftentimes it just destroys the Spirit of God right in us. Amen? Can't let that do that. Can't let it do it to us. Recently, I've been rediscovering what I would call the joy of my salvation. I've been shucking off the civilized approach to Christianity and becoming a little bit barbaric again. Just loving my God out loud and living a, a kind of a fired-up life a little bit differently and I just feel a work of God happening in me. And it's so good. And I want to encourage you today. Do you have that sense of destiny? Do you have that sense you're on a journey for Christ? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, these words. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, being born of Christ begins a wonderful journey. 
It's not the end point, it's the beginning point. And that puts us on this journey of becoming like Christ. We have this destiny that lies ahead of us that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to experience that total glorification in Christ. Amen? We're on this really divine journey in life. I have six kids. Some of you know that. 13 grandkids. If I take my kids or grandkids when they were young, if I were to throw them into our van and just start driving, what would happen? Where are we going, Dad? Why are we in here? I don't want to be in this car seat. I'm tired. I'm bored. What, what's going on? They would, there'd be all kinds of discord and distress and gnashing of teeth, I used to say. You know? But tell you what, if I used to take my young family, especially when my kids were young, and I would say, go jump in the van. We're going to DQ. There was rejoicing, man. They were happy. Or if I would say, we're going to go to the lake and go swimming. Woo! You know, they're still kids, and they're still annoying. (laughs) And they still fight, right? But there's a sense of destiny that lies ahead. Like, my my, my family just spent the week in in, uh, Disney World down in Florida. And I didn't go, evidently, because I'm here. But they drove down there. It's like 24 hours. You know what? They'll do that. Why? Because they're going to get to Disney World. Now, I didn't go because we're going to get to Disney World. But you follow what I'm saying. At any rate, um, destiny matters a lot in our lives. And John is saying to us in this scripture something life-changing. It motivates us. There's a destiny ahead for us. Amen? Future glorification. Do you understand that? Because the destiny matters in the journey. It gives purpose to the journey. It brings enlightenment to the journey. And so I just want to encourage you today. Have a sense of journey. So here's our application. Do you have a sense of journey in your life? Because it changes everything. Changes the way you live your life. It motivates you to live right. To live a life of purity and a life of loving others. So now we get to the last motivating factor here that John reveals to us in the scripture I read to you this morning. Everyone who has this hope, this certainty of Jesus in their life, purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So here's motivation factor number three. As a child of God, your hope, and it's a certain hope, it's not a high hope so kind of hope, it is a certainty of hope in Jesus Christ leads to a new way of living. See, your no-so hope in Christ is a great motivating factor. It pushes you to want to be pure like the Lord is pure. Now, let me explain what purity means here, okay? Because some of us think of purity in kind of a prudish way or whatever, but purity means this. I am removing contaminants from my life. Those things contrary to Christ. I am not seduced by false doctrines. So what it means is I see in Christ this perfection, right? And I realize because I love him, I'm devoted to him, because he smothered me with his love, and because I'm on this divine journey of becoming like Christ and ultimately experiencing glorification, I have this certainty of hope in him that I want to be like Christ. And I'm willing to then remove contaminants from my life that are contrary to the things of Christ. I'm not going to be seduced by doctrines and teachings that are contrary to the ways of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, our Lord said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are removing contaminants from their lives that are contrary to Christ. Blessed are those who are not seduced by false doctrines, for they shall see God. He says, for they shall see God. They shall experience God. 
I don't feel like I can talk completely on this purity thing without just jumping ahead a little bit into the scripture that lies ahead for us for next week because it helps us to understand what, what John is talking about here. He's saying to you and I, you can't be contaminated by the false thinking of, of this world. You can't think that sin is just okay. It's no big deal because that was what happening in his day. So when you go to verse 4, uh, uh, John simply says, sin is lawlessness. And we can read right through that, not knowing what that even means. But what it means is just really insightful in terms of what he's calling us to live uh, when he says you're called the purity or purify yourself as Christ is pure. So sin there just comes from the Greek word that means to break God's commandment, okay? So that's pretty clear. So he's saying breaking God's commandment is lawlessness. So what does lawlessness mean? That's from an interesting word. It means to basically side up with Satan, to fall in alignment with Satan, to be part of Satan's scheme. So what John is saying here is this. When you sin, you're siding up with the devil. You're playing it on his side of the you know, net, so to speak. All right? And he's saying that's not what you want to do. That's why he says further on in verse 8, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so what John is saying here is, listen, if you have this certainty of hope in Jesus Christ, then you're going to purify yourself like he is pure. You're going to remove contaminants from your life. You're going to remove that lifestyle of sin. You're not going to be content to be over there because if you're just saying sin is okay and you're going to live a sinful lifestyle, then you're basically saying, I'm on Satan's side. You see what he's saying here? The two are incompatible. And so I'll leave that for next week. But at any rate, you get where I'm going at uh, this morning. So here's our application. Join sides with Jesus. Join sides with Jesus. That's what John is saying. Embrace and follow the teachings and commandments of Jesus. So let me summarize this message for you really quickly today. If a person truly seeks and receives Christ, there's going to be too heart change, right? That will result in life change. But this life change has great motivating factors behind it. We serve a God who smothers us with his love. He's lavished his love on us. That's a game changer. We serve a God who has put us on this divine journey of becoming like Christ, ultimately of experienced glorification. We know our destiny. We are people of great hope. When that word hope is used, it's not a, I hope so. It's a certainty of hope that Jesus is at work in our lives. And if that be the case, then we are going to want to purify ourselves like he is pure. We're not going to be accepting of living a sinful lifestyle. The Holy Spirit in us won't allow that to happen. There'll be a divine conflict that takes place. And we're going to want to remove the contaminants from our lives that are contrary to the ways of Christ. Because Christ is reigning in us. This brings us to this conclusion. Heart change will be evident by life change. That's why John says that. Heart change will be evident by life change. The community of God's children will be recognized by doing right and loving others. What John is saying. In contrast to those that don't know God, who won't do right and won't love others. Okay, it's just that simple. And I'm done, so we're going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for these words of John this morning. I know personally that I found them very edifying and very insightful. 
So I want to pray today, Lord, that we would do right, motivated by the things that John shares with us, motivated by this idea, God, that you've lavished this great love on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You just declare that. That is what we are. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would smother the people here with your love. I pray for those listening online, they they would sense your love for them. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you bring that truth to bear in our hearts so that's not just something that we hear, it's something that we really experience. And I know for me personally, Lord, when I looked at the scripture, I was struck by this divine journey that we're on. We're not just aimlessly going through life. We're moving towards that day when we see you face to face, Jesus. We have a destiny that lies ahead. And I know that destiny changes everything, Lord. And I pray that anyone listening today would have a sense of journey this morning, that they're on this divine journey, that you have a call and a plan for their lives. And ultimately, Lord, we're going to see you face to face and we're going to become like you. We're going to be glorified. Glory be to your name, Jesus. And Lord, I pray as the people of God, we'd have a certainty of hope in you. One that pushes us to purify ourselves like you are pure, Jesus. Not because we have to, because we want to. Because we love you, we desire you, we want to be like you, Lord. I just pray that you move this way in our hearts this day, Lord. I pray that we become a little uncivilized in our Christianity. That it begins to bubble out of us. That we become just madly in love with you and on fire for you, Jesus. Would you move on the people of Grace Point today? Would you move on all people move listening to this message today? I pray this in your name and by your blood. And all God's people said, 